We turn now to the word of God for its instruction and encouragement. And so turn with me to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. James 1, 22 to 25. And as you turn there, could you describe to somebody else what you look like? So have you ever thought about that? Like if I needed to describe this, and I don't know what situation this would be, maybe you were trying to give your own information to like a, um, you know, a police sketch artist, be on the lookout for this person and it's yourself. I don't know. Uh, but have you ever thought about that? Have, could, like, could you describe what your face looks like? Have you ever thought about, you know, there are face shapes. Are you pear shaped or I don't, I don't know. Watermelon, watermelon shaped. Yeah, I don't know. Pencil eraser. I, you know, these aren't probably good descriptors, right? So probably not something, but, but even in that, right? Even in that, how you describe yourself to someone else, how you would describe your physical features probably says a lot about what you think about yourself, right? So if you use very flattering words, very flattering, uh, ideas, uh, it probably says something about you, how you view yourself, right? Or if you use really negative words and, and you point out all of your flaws and the mistakes of your uh, skin or hair, uh, that pro- again, that probably says something about what you feel about your self-worth or something like that. And, you know, I'm sure it would give some psychologists a, a heyday uh, to, to unpack that for you, right, uh, for a certain fee. Uh, but, you know, as we look to our passage today, this is what James does. He brings up this metaphor of a man looking in a mirror. And what does that man do when he looks in the mirror? What does he do when he views himself? And he's talking about as we look at the word of God. And so we'll see that this morning uh, in James 1, through 25, when we look at the word of God, when we hear it, when we read it, what do we remember of it? More than that, what impact does it have on us? In other words, what do we do with it? You know, if we look in a mirror and we find that our hair is out of place, we probably fix it. If we look at the word of God and notice something askew about our lives, what do we do? James tells us, that the Christian life is obedience to the word of God. So that's what I want us to see. The Christian life is obedience to the word of God. So let's go to our passage and read it. Uh, it's probably the most famous verse. Well, the, the first verse we're going to look at is probably the, the most famous verse in the book of James. Uh, so that behooves us to pay closer attention to it. Because familiarity sometimes means that we just kind of gloss over, ignore what's going on with it. So we want to dig into it. Uh, But let's go ahead. Let's read the scripture this morning. And this is the word of the Lord. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And this is the word of the Lord. So we're nearing the end of the first chapter, and James is still right instructing believers, right? He has heard things that concern him of the churches, and so he is writing to them to instruct them, to encourage them. He wants them to be able to stand fast. This is an age of trials and tribulations, and so he knows that unless God is with them, unless they're heeding God's word, unless they are looking to Christ, they will fall. They need the wisdom of God, and he wants for them that they would receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And one of the core concerns of James is this disconnect between faith and practice and it's something we see again and again throughout the book of james and it brings up part of what is sometimes the controversy with james uh, and a seeming um, a seeming anti-pauline theology right To, to say that salvation is by grace is what paul would say and some people think that james says salvation is by works And as we go through, we'll try and labor again and again to show that that's not what James is saying. But James is concerned with faith and works. He is concerned with that uh, because he wants them to stand firm and he knows that there is a reality, a truth, which even Paul himself attests to, that faith without works is dead. And so... Uh, We see that in part here in our passage today. He encourages the church and he wants to encourage the church to seek wisdom, right? We've already seen that in chapter 1, verse uh, verse 5, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And in verse 6, he says this asking of wisdom needs to be unwavering, needs to be without doubt. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed that is driven and tossed by the wind. So James says that we have to have a heart that trusts in God and goes to God in trust. And that leads, if we do have trust in God, that leads necessarily to action. And that underscores our passage today. At the end of verse 21, we see this, uh, where James says, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so the question for us, the question that brings us into our passage this morning, is what does it mean to receive the implanted word? What does that look like? What does that entail? Well, let's turn to our passage first and see, in verse 22, deceitfulness deceitfulness in verse 22 he says but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves right of all the verses this is probably one of the top uh, maybe the top verse that uh, we think of when we think of the book of james right we probably said it i know i've quoted it a number of times uh, just in life right but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves and it succinctly tells us what james is striving for 
these churches that he is writing to to understand. Right? There has to be action to our reception of the implanted word. There has to be action. Uh, the Net Bible translates this verse uh, in this way, and I think it's a snappy way and a little bit different, so maybe it, it might jog something for us. Uh, the translation is this, but be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. Right? Be sure to live out the message. Right? What James says is simple. Do what you hear. Do what you hear. And we do have to ask ourselves, okay, what, what are we to make of this, the word? When, when we're talking about the word here, what, what word or what is this message? Verse 25 describes it as the perfect law, the law of liberty or the law of freedom. So James clearly has something in view uh, of the commands of God. And some commentators suggest that he is probably talking about the Torah or the law of Moses in particular. In the background of James, uh, as we understand who James is, uh, we do understand that he does have an emphasis on uh, the Jewish faith uh, to some degree. But James is no Judaizer, right? If we go to the New Testament, we sometimes see Paul especially dealing with, uh, in the early church, uh, these who would go and say, you need Christ Jesus, but you also need all of the law of Moses in order to be saved. And so one of the big issues in the early church is the issue of circumcision. Do men who join Christ, who believe in Christ, do they have to be circumcised or not in order to really be saved? And James himself deals with that in the Jerusalem Council when we look at the book of Acts, right? So James is no Judaizer, though. He doesn't preach Jesus plus the law of Moses. James is a Christian. And actually, as we go through the letter, we find that James is often greatly influenced by the teachings of Jesus. And so what he is doing, what James is doing, is taking the Old Testament teachings and the teachings of Jesus and applying them for Christians, right? He's trying to help us understand what the Old Testament means in light of Jesus' coming, in light of Jesus' teachings. When he talks about the word of truth, the implanted word, and now here we see the word or the message, we have in mind this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We think about the teachings of Jesus. We think about the teachings, uh, perhaps most famously, like the Sermon on the Mount, which is itself a kind of new law for the Christian, right? Uh, the, the church has often recognized the Sermon on the Mount as kind of this seminal, seminal passage of Scripture to which we ought bear in mind as Christians and, and seek to live and to practice those things out. For us today, when we think about doing the word, be doers of the word, we're talking about the scripture, right? The Old and the New Testament. And we strive to understand what does the Old Testament mean in light of the New Testament. Uh, we've recently been through on Thursday nights the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is wonderful uh, in that aim because that's what it does. It takes all these Old Testament teachings, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant um, realities, the temple worship, the sacrifices, Moses himself, angels, all these things, and tries to, and understands them in a, in a framework of now that Jesus has come, what, what do these things mean? 
How are these things shadows pointing to the true reality? And if that's the true reality, what, we do, what do we do with it, right? So the book of Hebrews is very helpful in understanding the old covenant in light of the new covenant. Because we are in a new covenant. And so James here says, Christian, be obedient to do the word which you hear. Don't merely hear the word. Don't merely listen to it. Or in our context today, because we are a written word society kind of, maybe what maybe increasingly less so uh we're, we're probably more an image driven society these days but um don't merely read it right don't merely watch it don't merely take it in he says be obedient to it do it act upon it and he says if we only hear it if we don't act on it we deceive ourselves why because if you only listen you deceive yourselves james says there's a great difference between the person who hears and the person who obeys and indeed this is what jesus says on the sermon on the mount matthew 7 21 through 23 matthew 7 21 to 23 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then will i declare to them i never knew you Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount says that people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And note that whenever we see a duplication in the scripture, uh, especially when we're talking about the the Hebrew way of writing, uh, it means an emphasis. So this is someone who is really coming up and saying to Jesus, Oh, Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. They're coming to Jesus and saying, look at all that I have done for you, my Lord, Lord. Look at all the the ways in which I have preached in your name and done works in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I've done a good show. And these are people that every church would love to have in their ranks, right? Hard workers for the kingdom. Or are they? Because Jesus says of them that they are workers of lawlessness. Workers who do not do the will of the Father in heaven. They seem to be faithful members. They seem to be faithful pastors. They seem to be faithful Christians. But Jesus says there is something essential missing in their activity and speech. Obedience. Understand this, you can believe all the right things. You can be orthodox. That means to have the right doctrine and still miss something essential. James will say in James 2.19, he'll go on to write, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you think of demons being orthodox? 
having right doctrine? Do you realize that the demons have an orthodox view about the nature of God? It doesn't change their hearts. It doesn't change what they do. And you can have, you, you can even have religious activity doing things that from everyone's vantage point looks like faithfulness. But unless there is obedience to the word of God in your day to day life, you are deceived. Unless you receive the implanted word leading to obedience, you are deceived. And listen, I really want to press into this and I want you to hear me and I want this to stick with you. Real faith produces real obedience. Real faith produces real obedience. There are many in our day who pretend at Christianity. There are many in our own community who would call themselves Christians. And uh, the evidence of their life, however, shouts that they are children of their father, the devil. And understand, when I say this, because immediately what probably jumps to our mind is we think of those people who, like, they're out doing meth. They're out you know, raping and murdering people. Those are the really evil people. And yeah, they attach the name Jesus to it. And and so they think they're fine. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the ones who appear very upstanding. And yet on the day of judgment, they will stand before Christ Jesus. And he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They may be upstanding and they may, they may be upstanding like Judas Iscariot. And I, I believe I've shared this before, but have you ever wondered why it was that at the Last Supper, as Jesus says, one of you is about to betray me, all the disciples are a little bit panicked and concerned. Have you ever noticed that? Matthew 26, 21 to 22, Matthew 26, 21 and 22. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Isn't that interesting? The disciples had no clue who Judas was. From our perspective, Judas appeared just like Peter. Just like John, right? Just like the sons of thunder. Just like all the rest of them. He appeared faithful. He didn't stand out as this evil character, right? He didn't have the mustache that he was twisting in the background as everything was going on, right? That's not what happened. Judas appeared upstanding, but he was deceived, He deceived the others. He was a hearer only. And understand that Judas took part in the ministry of Jesus, right? As he, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two to go into uh, the, the country and to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. Judas was part of that. Judas was a good church member. He was a, he was the treasurer of the church. Granted, we know that 
uh, he also liked to skim off the top of the treasury of the church. But the disciples only know that after the fact. They don't know that while they're there with him. He was a hearer only. And I say this for you. What about your own soul? What about yourself? I care little for the words that you use. I care little for your outward showing of religion. That you're here today is good, but it's nothing definitive. What about your life? When you come to the word of God, even what I am preaching right now, what do you do with it? Do you have forgetfulness? Let's see that next in verses 23 and 24. Forgetfulness. 23 and 24. And James continues, right? He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So, right, James gives us this picture to understand the deception involved in someone who only hears, right? He lo- he's a man who looks at himself and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's a man with ADD. He's a man who goes to see what he looks like and forgets he's distracted. He doesn't care, right? He sees the hair out of place and he doesn't comb it. He notices in the mirror that he has a big splotch of dirt on his face and he doesn't wash it off. And there are some who make much in this passage uh, and, and with verse 25 about this looking and the different kinds of looking involved, there are two different words used uh, both here in uh, verse 24 and then in verse 25, verses 23 and 24 and then verse 25. But these words for looking mean closely the same thing. Uh, they're very similar in meaning. Uh, in verse 24, it's a contemplative look. In verse 25, it's a stooping or bending over kind of look. The same kind of look, uh, actually, I was just reading today uh, for my Bible reading in John chapter 20. It's what the disciples do when they look into the tomb. They bend over, right, because the tomb is down in the ground. And some people make a, a big deal about this difference in words, but it's probably just a stylistic difference. We're not to really meant, meant to read much into the different kinds of looking. Uh, and if we were... Uh, often we would think, well, the looking into the perfect law, the law of liberty must be more intently, but that's actually not the case. The looking in the mirror seems to be the more intense look than the one in the law. So um, I think if we make too much of that, we miss the point. So what point is James trying to make? He wants us to see what happens when we look. What happens to this one that looks What are the results? What takes place? Right When we look here in verses 23 and 24, the person who goes and looks at his face in the mirror, what does he do? Forgets. He's forgetful. The result of his looking at himself is his natural face. And again, we we might make much more about what that natural face is. Uh, The word natural there is Genesis, where we get the Right, the word for the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, and so what, is that, what does that mean, the natural face or the first face? Maybe it has something to do with sin. Maybe it's about original sin. Uh, maybe it's about a history, right? The, looking at the history of his face. 
But again, that's not really the point. He looks at himself. He looks at his face. And he doesn't, he sees himself, but he doesn't change anything. And that's the point. Right? And understand that if we go to the Old Testament, we find that forgetting, uh, what forgetting entails, and forgetting in the Old Testament is generally a bad thing. So to forget is to, is a bad thing. Uh, we could look at Judges 3 7. Judges 3 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the balls and the Asherah. Or how about Hosea 13, 5 through 6. Hosea 13, 5 through 6. Uh, this is God speaking here. He says, It was I who knew you in the wilderness and in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, that is the people of Israel, when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Notice that when the people forgot the Lord, forgot the word of God, they ran after and into sin. Right? We see that time and time again. The people forget and the people enter into sin. They begin to serve false gods. They abandon the Lord God for things that are not God's. And so Moses warns the people, for instance, in Deuteronomy 8.19, Deuteronomy 8.19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. What does God say to the people of Israel? If you forget you will perish. And do we see that in the history of the people of Israel? They forget and they perish. Moses says forgetfulness leads to being forgotten. And James is now telling us that the person who hears the word only, who doesn't do the word, he's like a man who sees himself and immediately forgets what he sees. He is a man bound for trouble. He is a man bound to perish. This is the man who is deceived. And why is this man deceived? Because he may think that because he has heard the word, that he will be saved by his hearing. He may think that because he has assented to the tenets of the faith, that that makes him faithful. He may think that because he has the trappings of religious life, that he is truly alive. But the reality is what we have already seen in the Sermon on the Mount, that for the person who hears and does not is a person who Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And now do you see the pressing need for your own soul? Are you a hearer only? Are you forgetful? Hear what the psalmist says, which we read earlier. Psalm 103, 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are his benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
It is the Lord God who saves you. It is His Word which is spoken to you today. Remember the Lord and His Word. Remember it and pursue it with resoluteness. And that's what I want to see us to see thirdly. Resoluteness in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The comparison continues, right? The one who is blessed is the one who hears, who sees, and who acts. Who perseveres in his act. To use the metaphor of the mirror, right? To go back to what James has given us. It's like the person who goes up to the mirror, who looks in it, finds that big splotch of dirt, and then washes his face. Right? Doesn't just leave it there, but washes it. He cleans himself up. It's, it's the person who recognizes an act. This is who we are called to be in Christ. This is who we are to be if we are in Christ. And the point is this, that if this is the word of truth, if this is the word of God, right? If that's not just a fun fact that we say, if that's not just like a doctrinal point that we want to distinguish us from Hindus, and uh, Islamists, right? If we say this is God's word, the word of truth, then it, by its nature, it behooves us to obey it. Do you get that? If God has spoken these words to us, if the creator of the universe has stooped down and bent down to speak into our ear his word, if the only God has spoken, we must listen. And not just merely listen, but act upon it. Right, Jesus gives us another picture of this, and again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty four to twenty seven, Matthew seven twenty four to twenty seven. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says here. Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus says that the person who hears his word and acts are wise and will be saved on the day of judgment, right? The day when the rains come. And notice there that what the way Jesus says that, right? It's not a matter of if the rains come. It's a matter of when the rains come. And understand, it's not a matter of if the day of judgment comes. It's a matter of when the day of judgment comes. You will stand before God one day. Not a matter of if, just a matter of when. You will stand before the Lord God and give account for your life. And what will be your answer? Jesus says, for the person who re- hears and acts, in that is wisdom, in that is life, in that is safety in the day of judgment. 
But the person who hears and doesn't act, in that is foolishness, and in that is death and destruction. And so it will be on the day of judgment. If you are not a doer of the word, but a hearer only, you will find destruction on the day when you stand before the Lord God. When we read this, when we read James here, he says if we look into the the perfect law, and likely what James has in mind is this eschatological, the the end times law. Do you realize that uh, you in heaven for all eternity will be obedient to the law of God? And so I would also say if 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 you think obedience to God's commands are tiresome here and now, you won't like eternity in heaven. Because that is all that you will do, is be obedient to the commands of God. The law as we think of it, again, it probably does refer to the Mosaic law, but again, it's understood through the the lens of the work and the words of Christ Jesus. And so we have it, the law of liberty. It's the law of freedom. So don't misunderstand what James is saying here. James is not advocating adherence to a set of rules in order to be saved. He is instead showing us, because he's talking to Christians, right? He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have been saved, not those who are being saved or are going to be saved. He's talking to those who have been saved. And he is instead showing us if we have been saved, if the word of truth really has been implanted in us, then we will see the word of God for what it is and we will obey it as best that we can. In Christ, we have freedom. It is the law of liberty. Galatians 5.1 tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul there to the Galatian church is dealing with those who are Judaizers, those who have come in and began to teach that they need the grace of Jesus and the law of Moses, and if they don't have the law of Moses, then they're not saved. And Paul says again and again to the Galatian church, it is by grace you have been saved. It is Christ's work by which you are saved. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't yoke yourself to uh, adherence to the law of Moses to save you because it can't. It won't. They said these ones who would come in said they needed Jesus plus the works of the law, but Paul pushes back against that. But Paul never says this is to mean that we should have no concern for what we do. Listen to what Paul says just some verses later in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Right? You're called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Notice what Paul says. He says, don't use the freedom you have gained in Christ as license to feed the sins of your flesh, but rather, he says, use it to love one another. Use that freedom to love God as you ought. Do good works, in other words. And so James tells us right here that that this law of freedom doesn't mean that we are lawless. For lawlessness leads to death, right? That's what Jesus says. You workers of lawlessness, depart from me. But the law that we 
that we seek, the law that we obey, the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's like what God promises in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. It's this new covenant promise, right? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God promises a new covenant. He promises laws that are not written on stone tablets, but on our heart, the hearts of his people. And he promises not traveling teachers, but believers who are taught by God himself. He promises of forgetting, but of sin. So don't misunderstand what saves you. What saves you is not adherence to rules and regulations what saves you is the work of christ jesus he is the only one who has been able to perfectly obey every command of god then it is his death on the cross his shed blood and broken body which pays the penalty of your sins church brothers and sisters in christ if you understand that If you understand that, you will not hesitate to hear this word and put it into practice. The application is simple. Here, you want the big application, and you're probably thinking to yourself, you built up all this time, spoke all this, you you put out a lot of hot air, and here's the simple application. Do the word. Do the word. Indeed, it is only because of the work of Christ that you can even begin to truly do the word, right? It's only because of God's work in you that you can obey him. We could turn to Romans 8 and see how it is the spirit of Christ in us that enables us to walk and live and put to death the deeds of the body. And the question, Christian, the question for you who truly believe is are you obedient to what you say you believe? If you believe that this is the word of God, it's not a matter of if you obey, but how you obey. If God has spoken and you are God's child, then the question is, how are you going to be obedient to what God has commanded? And that's James' point. And in this you will be blessed, right? That's what he says at the end of verse 25. He will be blessed in his doing. And this blessing isn't about uh, temporal, temporal treasures, temporary treasures, treasures of this earth. It's about heavenly treasures. And blessed is the man, James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the trust test he will receive the crown of life which god has promised to those who love him
You aren't saved by your works, but you are saved for works. You are saved for good works. Again, go to Ephesians 2.10. We could look at that. We could study Ephesians 2, this great passage, right, where it says, By grace you are uh, saved through faith, not of works. 2.10 tells us that we are saved for good works, though. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. God is at work in you, beloved, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So hear this word, read it, and put it into practice. And indeed, that is what we are here for. That is why we gather as a church. It's one of the purposes God has gathered us to stir, to help us to stir one another up to love and to good works. He has placed us here to study and learn and obey. He has called me to equip you for the work of the ministry. Some of you hearing this, however, are forgetful. You will soon do what you often do after sermon. Move on. Uh, Maybe you already have moved on. The thoughts of lunch. Uh, to thoughts of filling your afternoon with dandies and delights. Move on to thinking about the week ahead, of what needs to be accomplished. And the sum impact of this sermon and all the others that you have heard amount to very little. Oh, sure, you make a good showing of religiosity. Uh, you give some money now and again. You show up, you sing the songs. Maybe you even taught a class one day. Maybe you led a discipleship group. Or done some other work in the church. And I truly pray that God has mercy on you. I pray that God wakes you up. That you would see the true state of your soul. You are standing before the pit of hell. And into it you will be cast for your faithlessness. And I said that right faithlessness for if you really believed in god you would heed his word and at the very least you would tremble before a holy god who can destroy both your soul and body in hell as it is you prove your distrust of him by ignoring him and that to your own peril some of you however don't want to hear this at all Uh, You don't want to hear how God has called you to live differently because that interferes with your plans for satisfying your own self, for seeking pleasures unbounded. And Jesus says in John 8, 34 through 35, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. The only way to be a son is to be set free by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The only way to have forgiveness of your sins is through the work of Christ Jesus. And if you don't seek him, if you don't turn to Christ, you will die in your sins and you will be cast forever from his loving presence. You will know nothing but his divine displeasure, his wrath for sinners for all eternity. And so I implore you by the mercies of Christ to cast yourself upon him, to go to him and plead with him for your soul. Go to him and ask him to forgive you for your sins. Pray that God will give you a new heart to obey him. Repent of your sins, friend. Turn to Christ Jesus and be saved. Look into the perfect law of liberty. Look into the good news of the Bible 
and receive the implanted word with humility and so be blessed forever. Then do the word. Right? Don't only hear this. Don't only hear this, but be resolute, persevere in doing the commands of God. And so prove your love for him that none may doubt. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Father, we are so grateful that you have spoken to us in your word, that you spoke through the prophets in many times and in many ways. And last of all, you spoke through your son. And in your son, you have given us all that we need for salvation, for eternal life. Father, you have spoken, done everything necessary for the salvation of our souls. And what remains for us alone is to confess Christ, to repent of our sins, and to turn to you. And even in this, you give us your Holy Spirit to produce that faith in us we have, have not without your work. Oh, Father, we pray that you would have mercy upon those who are forgetful hearers. Father, we pray you would have mercy on those who do not want to hear your message. And Father, we pray that you would uh, unstop their ears and pull the scales back from their eyes that they would see the beauty of Christ and that they would believe and that they would trust in the Son of God as their Savior and Lord. Oh, Father, do this work. And Father, we pray uh, for those of us who do believe. God, we thank you for that which you have done in us, our salvation, for giving us grace and mercy and compassion. And Father, we pray you would forgive us for failing you so often, for being forgetful of what your word says, for ignoring your holiness, and for walking in the, in the, the, the stinking sins that we love so much. And Father, we pray that the old self with its ways would become as what it is, a rotting, stinking carcass which turns our stomach. And, O oh Lord God, that we would walk in obedience to all the things of Christ, that we would love you with all of our heart and soul and mind, and we would love our neighbors as ourselves. Oh God, give us grace. And we thank you, Lord, for the abundance of grace. The mercies which are new every morning. Oh Father, create in us lives that give you glory. For you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And we know that in your glory is our good. We pray this in the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, He who was crucified for our sins, resurrected 
for our justification and who has ascended now in glory and he who is coming again. Amen.